Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. Today, I just want to be honest about what culture is all about. In fact, I'm going to talk a lot about what I believe, the, the, the way that I believe culture is shifting, where it's heading, and, and really what it's all about. And really it comes down to this, and I, I put this on the screen. I don't, I don't know whether this is in your notes or not, or not or, but here's, here's what I'm getting at here. We either set the culture or we'll reflect the culture. We said that a few weeks ago, but I think it's important for us to say it again. We either set the culture or we reflect the culture. We said it like this a couple weeks ago. We said we're either a thermostat or we're a thermometer, right? We, we, we either set the temperature or, 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 we're just like the, or we just read the temperature around us. And, and why, why are we called to be, why are Christians, Noah, why are Christians called to be a thermostat? It's, I believe it's because all throughout the Bible you see this theme. In fact, Jesus said it like this, that we're called to be salt and light. What does salt do? Salt makes things better. And what does light do? Light makes things brighter. And so if Jesus says that we're called to be salt and light, we're, we're called to make ourselves and our culture better and brighter that's who we're called to be and so we're not just called to retreat from culture in fact i really do believe that we are able to have an impact on culture in fact jesus um i found this interesting story this is the night before jesus went to the cross um he was he was in this garden it's called the garden of gethsemane and he prays this prayer and it's a really powerful prayer and i just wanted to start off the top and read this to you I think this is something that we can really learn together today. It says this, Jesus is saying this, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world. I don't know about you, but me sometimes, I just want to be took out of the world, all right? I just want to get out of here. Like, like God, if you've got something better for me, please take me now, Lord. Take me now. I've been in, I've been in some of those situations lately. Like, like, let's just go, all right? Let's just get out of here. And so if you're like me, it's like, take me now, Lord. And, I just, and so many of us, we just want to be insulated from culture because we just see things turning. In fact, there's a bunch of Christians out there that probably, like, like they say, like, they feel like they need to keep away from them dirty, filthy sinners. You know somebody like that? You know some of those Christians, like they just go to church and maybe to Walmart every once in a while, uh, but then they have, to, they have to stay with themselves, right? And, and, so, and so that's what we're talking about is that, is that Jesus didn't say that we are called to be secluded. Jesus didn't say we're called to uh, stay in our little church bubble with only our church friends and not have anything to do with culture. No, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He's praying that God, why, well, you, you need to protect my people from the evil one. And then he says they, who he's talking about Christians, he says, they are not of the, of the world, even as I am not of it. Here's the important thing for you to catch here. You are not of the world, but you're still in it. Even though you're not of it, you are still in this world. And so the question becomes, how do we live in the world and not become a part of it? How do we live in it and not become a part of it? And then how do we have influence in it if we're not a part of it? And uh, today what I want to do is I just want to expose this mentality that I really do believe that a lot of our culture has today. In fact, I've called it this. I've called it the Babylon, or the Babylon mentality. And uh, I, I really do believe that uh, it, every, everything that we do in culture is rooted in this mentality. That might not make sense to you right now, but I promise by the end of the message, it's going to make sense to you. In fact, 
just to give you a little bit of a backstory on Babylon, uh, Daniel, Daniel was set, we've talked about this every week, I just want to refresh you guys, for those of you who may not have been here, Daniel, the whole, the whole book of Daniel is set in this place called Babylon, and if you don't know where Babylon is, it's modern day, uh, basically where Iraq is, but here's the deal, I know I said that every week, I don't just believe that Babylon is this locality, it's not just this place, instead I think Babylon is more of a mentality that we have. In fact, some of the things, we're going to talk about some of the things that happened in Babylon. That'll make sense in just a little bit. Uh, But I believe that there's this Babylonian spirit that has existed from the beginning to the end of the Bible. It's always been around, and in fact, I believe it's still around today. And I'm here to tell you that I, I truly do believe that my job as your pastor, at least is what Ephesians says in the Bible, is my job is to expose darkness. And so what I want to do today is I want to expose some darkness for you. And I believe that once you understand how Satan operates, he, he won't be able to fool you anymore. He can't pull you down under anymore. When you start to understand how he operates, you're able to defeat who he is. And so I believe that Satan's biggest lie, and one of the biggest lies that Satan gives us, happens in the first couple words in the Bible. In fact, if you know the second chapter of Genesis, you know that there's a guy named Adam and Eve. And, there, and Satan, instead of, just, instead of just reading you the story on the screen, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. And, and Adam and Eve, they, they lived in this perfect world, right? And Satan comes in form of a serpent. And essentially, instead of just telling you exactly what he says, I'll just sum it up for you. Basically, what Satan does in the Garden of Eden, he, he questions God and he elevates people. The whole time, he's trying to take down God and he's trying to say, well, you're smarter than God. You're higher than God. You have better judgment than God. So he's taking down God and elevating people. In fact, I believe that that is Satan's lie. I believe Satan's lie. I believe Satan says, I'm all about you. He's constantly whispering in your ear and saying, I'm all about you. If you just follow what I tell you to do, you're going to have a little bit of fun. I'm on, I'm, I'm, I, I have your best interest in mind. And in fact, and then not only that, but on the opposite side, Satan tries to tell us that God is all about himself. He tries to say, you know what? God doesn't care about you. God is too big of a God to hear your prayers. He's too big of a God to listen to you. He's too big of a God to care about your problems. He's trying to get us to, uh, he's trying to whisper this in our ear that God is all about himself. That you shouldn't care about God because God is all about himself. And I believe that that is the biggest lie that Satan can give you. And I believe it comes in all different kinds of versions. In fact, if you read just a little bit later in the book of Genesis, we find this thing called the Tower of Babel. Many of you have probably heard about the Tower of Babel. It says this in Genesis 11. It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. This right here, that's that satanic spirit that I'm talking about. Satan is trying to tell us, that he, Satan is trying to get us to think that it's all about me. It's all about what I want. In fact, he's trying to tell us that we don't need God. If we can just make ourselves great, we don't need God. And so that's what happens in the Tower of Babel here. In fact, I believe that Satan wagers everything on our own self-interest. He tries to get us so involved in ourselves and so caught up with ourselves that we don't care about who God is. And in fact, I even believe this. 
I believe that the devil knows, I, the devil knows if he can promote you, he's got you. And so that's where you just have to watch and that's where you just kind of have to be seasoned to understand that maybe this promotion, maybe in your job, maybe in your household, I don't know what it is. Maybe that promotion, you've got to be careful. Is it a blessing or is it Satan trying to promote you to get you off the path for your life? You've got to watch how that works. And Satan knows that if he can just give you a little bit of a good thing, he can win. And he will win every time. If he just gives you a little taste, and he'll do it all the time, he'll just give you a little bit of taste of culture. He'll give you a little bit of taste of whatever, that, that pay raise. He'll give you a little bit of taste of, of, of that boyfriend or that girlfriend, right? He'll give you a little bit more than that, right? And so he, he gives you these tastes of these different things, and he knows that if he can just promote you just a little bit, he can get you off the path that God has for your life. And he tries to do that all the time. In fact, this story goes on and it says uh, that is why it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Babel is where we get the word Babylon, which is where Daniel is set in. And Babel, if you literally look it up, Babel literally, literally just means confusion. It means confusion. It means, or, or even deeper than that, it means a deranged way of thinking. It's you're not thinking right. That's what Babel literally means. And you don't need a preacher to tell you that if you follow a way other than God's, it'll produce mass confusion. Because I'm sure that you've followed a way other than God's before, right? And then whenever you follow a way other than God's way, a lot of the times it leads to this Babel. It leads to mass confusion, and you will end up, your life will end up in chaos. And I believe that so many of us, we're living in chaos right now. In our lives right now, we're living in chaos. In fact, maybe it's not just only in your personal life, but I believe that we're living in chaos in our nation. And even more locally, I believe that we're living in chaos in our state. There's a lot of things wrong, and there's a lot, especially these government things, to where I, it just it sickens me to think that Normal news, in fact, so many of us have been desensitized to so many different things. But for us nowadays, it's almost halfway normal to see somebody come in with a gun and just mow people over. And we see it all the time. It happens all the time, and it's become normal to us. And then, and then just personally, like this stuff that's been passed in Illinois about this abortion laws, it just sickens me. It sickens me to think, where has culture gone? And I'm telling you, because of this babble, because of this mass confusion, we're living in chaos. And that's what's happening. We're living in chaos. Because deranged thinking makes mass confusion. And I can tell you, that's why we need God. That's why we need God more than ever. And so many of you, maybe you're in this room right now and you're thinking, well, I need God, but where was He when I needed Him? Can I tell you that He was right where you left Him? He was right in the last spot you left him. And I think, I, I love people, people like to bring government issues into, into different conversations. And it's like, well, why doesn't God help our government? Why doesn't God do this? It's because we left him long ago. He's way far back. We, we need to go back to where we left him. And so that's why, where is God? He's right where you left him. We've uninvited him, many of you, you've uninvited him into your life, in your personal life. We've uninvited Him into so many, so many different things. But can I tell you that our God is a good God even though we've uninvited Him? He just says that if, if, if my people called by my name would just pray. That's all He says. 
And, and he says, you, you could have him right here today. So I'm, I'm here to tell you that if you're here today in chaos, you may have bought into this Babylonian mentality. Maybe, you're, but maybe you've bought into this culture, into this Babylonian mentality. In fact, if the first book of the Bible talks about it, and, and, the, and it, it would make sense that the last part of the Bible would talk about it as well. In fact, the last part, the book of Revelations, actually talks about Babylon. It's, it's written in the book of Revelations. It's in Revelation 17. I'm going to read it to you. It says, The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. What are they saying here? That might not sound like it makes any sense to you. But in other words, here's what they're saying. Everything ungodly has its root in this mentality. Everything that's ungodly at the end of the age has its root in this Babylonian mentality. In fact, if you would just read the next two chapters in Revelation, you would find out and you would even see how this mentality has made its way into many churches. And in the middle of your Bible, if there's something at the start and if there's something at the end, it would also make sense that there would be something in the middle of your Bible. In fact, if you look at Isaiah if you pull out your Bible and you, you look at Isaiah 47, and you read the caption of Isaiah 47, it literally says the fall of Babylon. And I'm going to read you just a, just a little bit out of Isaiah. It says this, Now then listen, you lover of pleasure. They're talking about this Babylonian mentality here. Now then listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. It goes on to say, I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood, they will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and you have asked and you have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge misled you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. This is the culture we're living in. We're living in, and I am, and there is none besides me. In fact, we live in this selfie generation. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the, you know what I'm talking about, right? We live in the selfie generation. I don't have to reenact it for you. That's what we live in. We live in this generation where it's I am and there is none besides me. In fact, I wrote this down. I believe that Babylon's motto is this, I am and there is none besides me. And I think this phrase right here is one of the biggest tricks of the devil. He wants to get you to be self-focused. He wants you to only be thinking about yourself. He wants you to think that, that he, he wants, he's making you think that you're smarter than God. He's making you think that you know better than God. He's think, making you think that you can love people better than God. In fact, so many people think that nowadays that they can even judge better than God. I know what's right and wrong in my heart. God doesn't need to tell me what to do. And that's the generation we live in. I am. And there is none besides me. In fact, Babylon, what does it do? This mentality elevates self. It's all about yourself. In fact, it's all about me. And one of the forms of this is being self-adoring. 
It's, it's, it's all about being self-adoring. Like I said, with the selfie, there's none but me in this picture, right? And every once in a while, I might even boomerang it, all right? That's what I'll do. It's for those of you who know what boomerang is. Good for you. <laughs> but uh, if you don't, please ask your, uh, you know, your kids later, all right? So uh, anyway, it's all about being self-adoring. That's what this mentality is all about. Not only is it about being self-adoring, it's also about being self-building. This mentality gets you to think that I can do it without God. I don't need God in my life, but if I have an emergency, maybe I'll call on Him, all right? Maybe I'll just call on Him when I have an emergency. And can I tell you that that's why when people are prosperous, when the nation is prosperous, when, when this region is prosperous, people stop going to church because they think that they can do it on your own. Don't you dare think that when you're prosperous, you need to stop going to church, all right? Don't you dare think that. In fact, so many people will say that whenever we see the churches fill up, it's during a hard time. It's during when, when, some, when somebody's just down and out, they decide to go to church. Or when, when, when the economy is crashing or, or when something's not going their way, people start coming back to church and you see the churches fill up. And that's what this is. It's all about self-building. And you need to be careful about also being self-indulging. Be careful about doing things like, well, you know what? I can do what I want as long as it feels good. That's what so many people think. Be careful about just your belief and your feelings. In fact, I believe that this mentality not only elevates self, but when you elevate yourself, you also do something else. And it's your next note-taking uh, thing on your, on your note-taking sheet. When you elevate yourself, you also lower God. When you put yourself in a position higher than God, obviously, you lower God. That's what happens, and it makes God less and less of who He is. And I'm telling you that culture does this stuff all the time. And culture will mock God. Culture will say, I am, and there is none besides me. That phrase is a mockery to who God is. In fact, the devil even uses the same language because he's not even creative enough to come up to come up with his own lie or with his own lines. In fact, the devil will try to say things like, "God doesn't love me." Many of you in here, I've I've battled this, and I hope somebody else has too. I've battled this phrase, "God doesn't love me." Who am I for God to love me? In fact, if He loved me, so many of us say that if He loved me, He would just let me be who I am, right? He would think that it's all cool. But can I tell you that the greatest expression of love is a God who forgives you. It's a God who calls you to repentance and so that you can have a better life. He does this so that you can have a better life. Maybe you're in here today and you feel like God isn't for me. Maybe you feel like God isn't for you. I've felt this many times over, that God is not on my side. It just doesn't feel like He's on my side. Many of us, we feel like God is mean. He's outdated. He's old-fashioned. This may have worked like 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't work this way anymore. And so many of us have bought into this lie that God isn't for me. And can I tell you that that is a lie. And that lie lowers God. And it makes us, it makes us think that we know more about running a society. It makes us think that we know more about running our life than God does. Can I tell you that God knows way more about your life than you ever will? And He knows and He has a perfect plan for your life. But whenever we believe in this lie that God isn't for me, 
He, he, he's not able to come in and, and, and work in our life. And people say, people say, you know what? No, 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 no. God wants too much from me. I don't want to believe in God. I don't want to trust in God because it just seems like every time that I do, He wants something from me. I go to church every week and it seems like God wants something from me every week. And so many of us, we, we turn away from God because it just feels like God wants something for, from me and He asks for too much from me. But can I tell you that only a loving God would call you out of your sin and forgive you. Only a loving God wants to give you a better life. In fact, I put it down like this, that, that everything that God put in His Word is for your best interest, not His. Every rule in the, in the, in, in the Bible, whatever you want to call it, it, it is for your best interest. It is for you to live a better life. God doesn't just want too much from you. He wants to call you out of your sin so that you can live a better life and so that He can forgive you. And these things, these are the Babylonian mentality. This is the Babylonian mentality. And I can tell you that every one of us, you can probably name the thing up here that you struggle with the most. All of us struggle with something like this. And if you would just see the story in Daniel, if you would think about a story in Daniel that really shows this the most, I believe it comes out of Daniel chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, open it up to Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I've got it on the screen here. It says, I... Nebuchadnezzar. We remember Nebuchadnezzar because he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? So here's Nebuchadnezzar. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. What, are, what is he talking about here? What does contented mean? Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is home, and he's contented, which means he's without God, and he's prosperous, which means he's probably just looking around and saying, look at what I've done. Look at all the things that I have. In fact, the story goes on. I'm not going to read you the whole story, but I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, he stood and he admired himself. And uh, after that, he, he, he goes on to have a dream in Daniel chapter 4. And his dream is really important. His dream is about this tree. This tree is a big tree. It's luscious. The Bible says it's luscious and fruitful. In fact, this tree is over every nation. And what happens to this tree, this big tree that's luscious and fruitful in this dream? It gets cut down. This tree is cut down, but all the stumps and the roots are left. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he wakes up, and he doesn't know what it means, and he calls in all these magicians and these sorcerers and enchanters to interpret the dream, and none of them could interpret the dream. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar remembers a guy named Daniel. Daniel, as he is, he comes in just as he is influencing culture, right? So Daniel comes in, influencing culture. And the king, and, and this takes some guts. You're, you're going to see this in just a minute. But this phrase, this, what he says to the king, takes some real guts. Because what he says, he could have died, he could have died because of what he says. In fact, it's here in Daniel Four verse four it says, You, O king, are that tree. How would you like to be the one to tell the king that you're the one getting cut off? You're the one that the disaster is going to happen. And, da and, and Daniel has this bold enough, he has these guts to say, You, O king, are that tree. And it goes on to say, You will be driven away from people and will live 
with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. He's going to be basically a cow, all right? He's going to go out and eat grass and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And what Daniel is talking about, as we find out in a couple chapters later, he's literally talking about Nebuchadnezzar's upcoming insanity. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, literally goes insane. Because remember what Babylon meant. Babylon meant confusion. Babylon is an insane mentality and an insane result. And it goes on to say that seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. And it goes on to say, and I added this part because I want everyone to hear it, because here's, here's what I want you to understand. That even though he's talking about he, he, uh, this dream is all about Nebuchadnezzar going insane, I want you to understand that there is still hope. In fact, God commands to leave a stump of the tree with its roots. What does that mean? What does that mean? That he will never, God will never let you go so far away where He doesn't give you the ability to have it all replenished. He never cuts the tree down and He never uproots the tree where it'll never grow back again. So even if you're here today, listen to me, and you feel like you're too far gone, God, he, you are never ever too far God. He, gone. He always leaves a stump of the tree ready for you to rebuild. So if you feel like your kingdom's been broken down, your life has been broken, your family's been broken, your job has been broken, it's not over. He leaves a stump. And it goes on to say that, that He leaves this stump so that your kingdom might be restored. So when you win, you acknowledge that the kingdom of heaven rules. Can I tell you that when you acknowledge that heaven rules, it'll work out for you. When you start acknowledging who is the king over your life, it will start working out. And well, I'm here to tell you that it didn't work out for Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't listen to Daniel. And 12 months later, it, there's a story about Nebuchadnezzar stepping out, and he admired something that uh, many of us admire today. If you've, if you've ever heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, uh, if you haven't, look it up, Google it. It's just a beautiful garden. In fact, it's called one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. But I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar, he walks out and he says, and he looks, he looks out, and I imagine I'm on this big balcony thinking, man, look what all that I have done. And Nebuchadnezzar got so prideful, he basically said, you know what? I created those plants. I made them grow. And he admired everything about his life. And what, he, what essentially what he did is he mocked God. And after he mocked God, he spent seven years, like a cow, just like this says, eating grass. He spent seven years eating grass. But then it records in Daniel 4.34, it says at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes towards heaven. And my sanity was restored. I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar saying, you know what? I've had enough of eating grass. I'm done eating grass. It's over. I'm going to raise my eyes towards heaven. And his sanity was restored. And I can tell you that if there is a call that America needs to hear today, it's that sanity needs to come back to our land. You and your life, you need to, maybe you're in here this morning and you need to look up 
to get your sanity restored. You need to see who, who is your maker, who is the author of everything. You need to look to Him and your sanity will be restored. Then it says, it goes on to say, then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking, are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Instead, at the same time, that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Can I tell you that when God humbles us, He doesn't just leave us down. He doesn't just leave us as a stump. But instead, just as Nebuchadnezzar did, his sanity was restored and his honor and splendor was restored to him as well. It goes on to say, my advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. I don't know about you, but that's the type of life that I want. I want to be even greater than before. And it's so good to know that our God, even whenever we get kicked down, even when we run away sometimes, when, he, when we come back to Him, He'll bring us up. And He's even got the power to bring us up farther than ever before. It's the good news of the gospel. He goes on to say, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So he gives this caution at the end. He's like, you know what? I've got it figured out now. <laughs> I've got it figured out now. I'm not eating any more grass. You need to listen. You need to praise and exalt and glorify because all His ways are just. And if you watch, and if you're prideful like Him, Nebuchadnezzar knows that He can humble you. He can take you down, and He can humble you. And so this morning as we close, I'm going to give you three really quick things to survive, three I wills, in fact, to survive and influence an ungodly culture. Here's the first one. I will exalt God. You need to say that to yourself. You need to, you need to understand that in your heart. You need to say that I will exalt God. And we're not just talking about, not just on a Sunday for an hour, but you need to say to yourself, I will live my life praising and exalting God. That's how you need to live your life. In fact, a lot of people try to tell me all the time, well, my faith is just kind of private. I got Jesus way down in my heart. And that's, that's where I really need Him. No, no, no. The Bible talks all about praising and exalting God, that I will live my life exalting. And can I tell you, just like we talked about last week, there's a lot of exalting that goes on in our culture. Last week we talked about that any, at any type of sporting event, at sports, sporting games, that there's a lot of exalting that, that goes on. And uh, I think it's weird that, that no one thinks it's weird when thousands of fans you know, stand in the stadiums and go, ah, right? And they're screaming over whatever it is. It's probably you in front of the TV at the Blues game tonight, all right? That's what you're going to be doing. And you're, ah, like, come on. And, and, and nobody thinks anything of it when, when we scream and we praise and we lift our hands at a stadium. In fact, they call them fans. But can I tell you that if you saw somebody doing that in church, you would probably call them a fanatic. 
And that's the truth. It's because we, we, our culture has, has made it weird. And in fact, there's a lot of hand raising, there's a lot of shouting, and there's a lot of, and there's a lot of praising at these, at these different sporting events. And the things, and in fact, it's really the things that you would read in the book of Psalms. In fact, I think the book of Psalms looks a little bit more like a football game than at a church. That's really what it is. And with all this, this hand raising and shouting and praising, and we can scream at a game, but then whenever we go to church, we got, we got, I just, I just, not my favorite song, right? And, and then some of you, I see some of you, you might, you might get your hands out of your pockets, you might go a little bit like this, right? Right? And then you might, you might start to sway, all right? <laughs> then some of you, you're like, yeah. Get, getting closer and closer. I think that's, that, that's, the, that's the really, that's the culture that we want to set at this church. Can I tell you that, that just me personally, I've got news for you. I'm not going to praise a team that doesn't know my name and not give any praise to a God who loves me. I, the God of heaven and earth loves me and knows me by name. I'm going to give Him way more praise than any other team that I will ever give. In fact, I will exalt my God. And I have a dream for this church. That I have a dream that the sound that comes from this auditorium on a Sunday is way louder than anywhere else, than, than any stadium around here, than, than any sporting event around here. I believe that it can happen, and I believe that our God deserves that type of praise. In fact, Psalm 145, it says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Church, let's be a church that is known because it's on fire for God. Let's be a church that's known. Let people come in here just to see you on fire. Let them come in to just look at you weird and say, my goodness, something must be going on here. And in fact, not only that, but I pray, I, I pray about this church and I pray that they don't even talk about this church. I pray that they don't talk about me. I pray that they don't talk about anyone here on staff. Come on, let it all be the glory to be to the King of Kings. Let it all be about Jesus. If people want to know anything, let them know Jesus, all right? God can do it. Here's the second thing. I will acknowledge God. Some of you, you just need to acknowledge God. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the story, he says, you know what? I've realized that everything that you do, all your ways are right, your ways are just, and I'm not going to question you anymore. I've had enough eating grass like a cow. I'm not going to question you. I understand that all your ways are good and righteous. And can I tell you that I myself will acknowledge that God's Word is true. And I don't care what culture says. Even if they pass laws to say that certain parts of the Bible are offensive, come on, you'll have to lock me up. Because I, it's, it's not, it, none of them are offensive. In fact, God, I, I will acknowledge that God's ways are true. Even if we don't like it. I will, I, can I even tell you that it is so strange for me to even be right here on stage. I've told you this story. I told you this story a couple weeks ago that God plucked this shy kid and he, and, and he put him on stage in front of people. And can I tell you that I stand here not because I'm well trained. I stand here by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that we're here. And I can tell you that my life isn't perfect and I need Jesus just as much as many of you. But I'm here because of Him and this is all here and this is all his. In fact, I stand on, this, on the side of this stage every week and, 
and probably a lot of the worship band knows, but I just, I just try to keep my head down and pray, and I pray a simple prayer. Like most, most of the time I pray something like this. It's a privilege to do this. God, thank you for choosing me. And I say it over and over again to myself because, listen, if somebody else wants this spot, they can have it. They can have it. I don't want it. But, but God, it's just such a privilege that God has chose me. And can I tell you that when you do that, culture can't touch you. When you say that to yourself, culture can't touch you. And you don't even care about what they say. In fact, 1 Corinthians says this. I love this verse. It says, what are you so puffed up about? What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? Acknowledge God because it all came from Him. Everything in your life, it all came from Him. All you have to do is acknowledge God. And here's the last thing real quick. Is I will humble myself. I will humble myself. It's a spirit that you need to have. In fact, write down humble. And then if you're taking notes, circle myself. And then look up here. I can tell you that humility is coming. And you can't and, and you can either initiate that humility or culture will. You can initiate the humility in your life, or can I tell you that life will eventually initiate it? You can initiate that humility in your life, or the devil will. And he loves to do it. It happens all the time. It's a spirit that we need to have, the spirit of humility. In fact, that's why the Bible says in James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves. Can I tell you, it's either you having humility or you being humiliated. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather have humility than be humiliated. And it's coming to this culture, I promise. In fact, insanity is going to happen to everyone who takes up that Babylonian mentality. Insanity will happen, and some of you are in here today because you have experienced that insanity. You've experienced, you've, you've lived in culture for too long and you've experienced that insanity. But here's the good news, is that sanity can be restored. And can I tell you that peace happens to every one of those who acknowledges God. When you acknowledge God, your sanity, just like Nebuchadnezzar, your sanity can be restored. And just watch what God does. In fact, I think people get humility all wrong. In fact, humility is not just thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. That's what it is. That's what humility is. In fact, the good news for your life today is that God never leaves you down. He never digs up the roots. But it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. That's the good news. And some of you are in here today and you just need the Lord to lift you up. But all you have to do is you have to take a step first. You have to humble yourself so that He can lift you up. You have to understand that, listen, I'm nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. But Jesus is everything. I'm nothing. But Jesus is everything. In fact, we'll say it like this. Standing strong in a pride-inflated culture starts face down. It starts face down. It starts saying, I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Many of you in here this morning, you need to say that. You just need to open your heart. You need to humble yourself and you need to say, I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. I'm nothing. Jesus 
is everything. This morning, if you feel like you've lived in that culture long enough, all, all you have to do is say a simple prayer and the King of Kings, Jesus, will come into your heart and I can tell you that He will make you new again. It might not all happen just like that, but I can tell you that it's a process that many of you, you need to start this morning. If you're in here and you say, you know what, I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. I need to accept Him into my life this morning. I wonder if just on the count of three, would you do something really simple for me? Would you just raise your hand so I know that who I'm praying with? Just, just lift those hands up. Are you ready? One, two, three. You want to accept Jesus into your life? Lift those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Really quick. Thank you. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in church because we believe in this prayer. Lord, let's say it all together. Say this. Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me but I believe that you raised him from the dead Jesus I make you my Lord I give you my life thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit I'm nothing you're everything say it one more time I'm nothing you're everything in Jesus name Amen.